Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And this week, we're going to have a conversation with a real-life HR professional just like yourselves. The purpose, as you know, is to have specialist topics, have conversations with experts. And so now's the time for us to talk to somebody who's actually doing the job. And Steve Graham is who I'm talking to this week, who is the Interim Deputy Director of Workforce and OD at Hertfordshire Partnership University NHS Foundation Trust. Oh my word, that's a mouthful. And he is someone who has, he's had a a, a real career in senior HR roles within the NHS to such an extent that he's also been in almost all the different types of NHS organisation that there are. So he's had to hit the ground running make a good impression and perform in a number of interim roles. So that is something that you might be considering being an interim I thought was worth exploring. So that's the subject of our conversation this week. I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to this week's podcast and I'm really excited because I've got a special guest uh, today. It's going to be a conversation with someone I've known a long time. Um, his name is Steve Graham and I'll let him introduce himself in a moment in terms of the role he's doing. But the main focus and why I thought Steve would be really good to get on this podcast is that he has been, I suppose you could say, a professional interim. Uh, and I think in terms of that, we talk about change agents actually he has to go in to different organisations and make a difference on an ongoing basis. And he's been into many, many different cultures and had many experiences there about what works and actually what makes life really difficult. So I felt there's some interesting stuff to get here. Now, you may hear birdsong in the background. In fact, you probably do. And uh, that might be a bit of a distraction. I hope it's not. But we just thought that for a change, it happens to be a sunny day and uh, it's after work on a Friday. And we thought we'd nip out and sit in a nice beer garden and uh, have a bit of a chat, both on fizzy water. Unfortunately, no beer today, Steve. <laughs> no, no beer. <laughs> but maybe maybe later. Uh, so this is without further ado. Let's go in and have a chat. And uh, birdsong in the background can be nice and calming. So welcome on to um, the HR Uprising podcast, Steve. Thanks so much for joining us. I'll let you, will you introduce yourself, please? And maybe just uh, give me an overview of your current role and maybe just a couple of the other places that you've worked in. Okay, so yeah, my name is Steve Graham. I'm currently the Interim Deputy Director of Workforce and OD at Hertfordshire Partnership Foundation Trust, which is a mental health and learning disability trust for not just Hertfordshire, but Norfolk, Bucks and North Essex. Um, I've been there since September 2018. Uh, before that, I've worked in South East Coast Ambulance Service, um, Central London Community Healthcare, Bart Health. Uh, yeah, so I've been around a bit. A serious NHS pedigree there. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, all NHS. Was every role the same? Um, no, and interestingly, it wasn't all NHS. So my first sort of job was in the NHS, and I went to Glaxo as a research scientist and got into HR there. So I've been in the NHS since about 2000. 
and no well there's similarities in the jobs but there's differences different organization but we tend to face the same challenges in hr and that's that's something that i think is really key to bring out for this audience so as you know the point of this podcast is really to help inspire people as to how a they can achieve within their organizations but also learning from other people's experiences you know that my experiences i've worked in lots of organizations with actus and yet you find people having the same challenges so surely we can change some share some of the solutions and you're saying you've met some of the same challenges in the different organizations you've been in yet also they've been really different yeah really really different culturally i know because we've known each other for a few years haven't we and perhaps we'll touch on some of those and what what that means in terms of your challenges and just before we go there though i mean you've been you've been the most senior roles haven't you in terms of getting up an organization what would you say your secret has been in terms of becoming hrt executive director roles I think the the most significant thing that I've had to do is is gain credibility and uh, confidence of peers as quickly as possible uh, and show them that, you know, I can be trusted, I know what I'm doing and I'm going to advise and guide them in the right way. And peers, you're talking other board members? Other board members, but also, uh, yeah, but also, um, I guess, levels below as well. So at the minute, there's a deputy director. I've got peers who are deputy directors and it's important that I have their confidence as well as the confidence of the exec. So just that, it's almost like a 360, that group around you, um, but outside of the HR function. So, you know, the HR function has its role, as does the OD function, but my job is to lead that and in lots of of ways just manage its reputation. So it's very much about seeing outside of the HR function, sort of viewing your relationship with different departments almost almost customer management stuff customer services stuff like uh, identifying where the reputation isn't doing too well what we're not doing right a lot of it is about hr losing the people in its processes and 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 helping the teams recognize a bit like with an nhs trust as a service user or a patient at the center of it for us there's a stakeholder or a a, um, employee who's distressed when they come to us normally you know we're not there when we pick up the happy times a lot of the time and recognizing and being compassionate towards that so I appreciate that you've got people coming to you who might not be up, might not be happy. Uh, so you've got to have that sort of empathy, that people skills there. But also you were saying you've got to have that trust, interpersonal skills and gravitas uh, to be taken seriously. Uh, in terms of the skills that you've developed, do you have any tips for people in terms of developing those? You know, you know what it is you do to... <laughs> they don't all come naturally, um, do they? I think the empathy one is, is, is quite key. Um, I mean, I remember when I first started on this I, I, I failed for a few roles because I was described as not having enough gravitas and I never understood what that meant and I still don't understand what it means but people now describe me as having gravitas so I've obviously developed something but I don't know what it is I think it's maybe authority um, confidence in, in what you're talking about and being right and if you're not right being humble enough to say yeah okay I wasn't right on that um, so it's being sort of authentic yeah giving it a go yeah that authentic leadership I think is really important the, the, the problem is you can't often get things wrong and get away with it in yeah. this sort of job. Well, I bet you can't as an interim. No. Um, and you've, you, you've ended up having some interims that have extended to two years, so yeah. you must be getting things right a reasonable amount of yeah. time. Yes, I think, and I think that helps. Yeah. Um, and can you do, yes, you can clearly develop that skill because I wasn't, I wasn't that when I started. Um, do you I, think you've just become more confident in yourself or do you think you consciously have behaved differently at all? Um. I think I'm pretty much the person I am at work as I am at home. So I don't think I could manage any other personality that's not built like that. Uh, I think I've just developed a portfolio that has given me the confidence. So having worked now in every sector in the NHS, as I say, from commissioning through acute trusts into mental health a couple of times now, 
there's nothing that really phases me. Um, and I've been in, and I never, so I don't really come across new things. What you tend to find are a, an, an HR function that might have got a bit stayed in what it's doing, lost its way a little bit, needs a bit of leadership and direction, and that's what I've done, and I've picked up tips along the way on how to do that, quite outward-looking and, and ways we can do different things. So bringing that all in is quite high-impactful because it opens up a, a world for people who hadn't been exposed to that kind of stuff. So that's coming from the fact you've had the different experiences and you're able yeah. to bring a different experience yeah. to each new role with the same problems, yes. yet different cultures. Yes, without doing any networking. Yeah, yeah, and you've got to hit the ground running. You, yeah. I mean, so if you think about you're going into a new interim role and you were to say people, you know, they talk about the first 90 days, but yeah. I reckon you don't have 90 days in an interim role to make an impact, do you? So if you were saying like the first month, what sort of things have you found that you do to hit the ground running? Connections, connections really quickly. Connections with peers or whatever level I'm working at. Um, quick connections with my boss, who that, whoever that may be, be it the chief exec or, or the director, and then really understanding what the team are doing. So it's actually spending time sitting next to them as they're working, seeing what they're doing, understanding how they're doing it, what their tasks and challenges are, um, and trying to piece that all together so I get a rounded feel as to how the organisation views the team, how the team views the organisation and how the team views itself. And then from all of that, putting together what I think needs to happen to, or what I know now needs to happen to, to fix stuff, because there's always stuff that needs fixing. And most of it's not major stuff, it's just, as I say, a little bit, little bit of slipshod on something, or a little bit of loss of focus, or a loss of target, or, or whatever. So there's two things there. It sounds a bit like lots of listening. Yeah. At the start with, so listening yeah. to your team. Yeah, I don't do much talking. Choices. I know, it's quite uncomfortable for you. Normally I do all the talking, don't I? Um, so, in, and then you're saying connections. You use that word connections with your you yeah. know, your peers. What What is that? What are you doing? Uh, meeting and, and, and having that authentic conversation. So actually listening to what they're describing, the HR function. So it's not on a personal level to start with. It's on a quite a factual, what's their experience of the HR function? What's their myths about the HR function and OD function, what are they delivering, what are they not delivering, and, and collating all of that. Any personal development is after that, because if I'm there for a, a period that could be anything from three months to, as you've described, two years. Yeah. I'm, I'm not there to make mates. No. Um, I'm there to, to do whatever the, the job I've been brought in to do is, so I need to get that information. And they need to, they accept that, I think, now, as you know, the yeah. interim coming in, that's what I'm there for. And then a relationship can build after that, if need be. And do you kind of get uh, a clear agreement of what the outcome is of that? I guess it's going into a role when you, you're interviewed for, they have a purpose to bring you yeah, in. Yes, but then they're never very close to what actually <laughs> it has to be done. come across. Um, like training needs, yeah. You know, the, the, there's, I'm brought in for a reason and it's normally there's a gap in the management or someone's moved on or someone has had to leave quickly and they need some, some immediate support. And it may be seen initially as a babysitting role, but it never ends up as that because there's always stuff that just needs to be, to be managed and improved. So it sounds like there's a good level of um, reading between the lines. So people tell you they need you something, but then you really have to get underneath it and diagnose what really is yeah. going on, where there isn't trust or where there are problems, um, perceptions of how your team is. I know that you've often, you might move in somewhere and you actually find there's issues with maybe members of even your team that you've taken on. Yeah. Um, fairly or unfairly sometimes. So you've got to really understand what's real and what's not. 
Yeah, because everyone comes with a history, don't they? And, you know, if you, if you work on the uh, presumption that everyone goes to work to do a decent job, if they're not doing a decent job... Why not? Th- why not? Yeah. The system may have let them down, their previous management may have let, may have let them down, or they may be in the wrong job. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't just say that they're a bad one. And it's not very often you come across real patterns. They are just something hasn't worked in, yeah. in their um, environment. And I know you've built some really strong, loyal teams. So what sort of things, obviously you said you start by listening to them. What other things might you do in terms of building a relationship with your team quite quickly? Supporting them, I think, is a, is a, is a big piece of it. You know, they, they don't know me. No. Um, and the word interim means different things to different people and in the NHS it's not always a positive thing there's not always a positive experience of an interim someone who comes in does a couple of months and and takes the money and goes and I try not to be that Um, so I try to show true leadership to to the, uh, the team and often decide or describe the role I do as leadership rather than management so try and help them understand where we need to be but they have the ideas so engagement with them um, giving them autonomy in lots of ways to, to, to grow and make their decisions and uh, try out things themselves, obviously within defined parameters because we don't want to go wrong. So, but I think, you know, once, once I show that level of support and interest in them and we get an understanding, then it becomes easier. And they say that I'm there to support, not to do a hatchet job or anything else. So it's another building trust thing. So just being yeah. genuine and supporting and showing them that you have got their back. You're not here to mix things up for the sake of it. It's, yeah. yeah, just doing what you say you will do. But I'll call it if it's not right as well. So, you know, they'll know that, that, that if um, if I do come across stuff that they're not doing, that's right. I'll, I'm, I'm not going to let them get away with it. And how long would it take you to decide? You'd, you'd obviously, you'd say this isn't, a, you'd sort of do the class. Well, how would you manage that in terms of calling it? What is that? Um it's an ongoing thing it's a, it's a coaching style of, of, of meeting with individuals on a regular basis uh, setting standards of, of work and if it's not that standard trying to understand why and trying to support and guide them because I work on the on the presumption I'm going to go and they need to continue to do the job yeah you know I'm, I'm not going to be their manager forever any relationship we have isn't going to go in, in a work sense forever so they've if they're off if they're off the um, pace, they've got to pick it up. Otherwise, when I go, they're going to be exposed. Yeah, so it's got to be quite a clear coaching style, really setting expectations, but setting people up to be autonomous. Yeah. Able to, so, yeah. And you want to leave the place better than it was when yes. you found it. Yeah. Um, so it's a quite direct, um, but supportive style, I'm guessing. Yeah, yes. I mean, I, I, I think my, my style... So when I first started in the NHS, which was in, in an interim role, I mean, I think back, I was very directive. Um... But I think one of you know talking about what's evolved, what's probably evolved is I still can be that, and there are times you do definitely need to be that. But the coaching element of it and the helping people see the solutions themselves is far more powerful uh, for me and for them. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Okay, so then the other thing I'd like to just explore with you is the whole concept of culture. So you know, I'm quite interested in in change, and you know, generally you're going in interim and you've got to put things in place or make things happen and you experience different cultures now without naming any names could you give us like an example of you know a challenging culture or something that you experienced to give us an example of something and then maybe what you've you tried to do to adjust it so i I think that changing culture is the most difficult thing yeah 
And part of the downside of being the interim is never having been anywhere long enough to have affected a change. So you can identify things are wrong, but if you're not in there for long enough, and you, therefore you haven't got the, I was going to say credibility, so, you know, you're still the interim. Then yeah. to you be that a time either. You well, can't yeah, necessarily say it's to be through. that change agent. Be, but um, but not just the time, but to be the the, ch the change agent that people recognise as, and they don't just think oh, he's going to be gone in a couple of months. We don't need to listen to him. Uh, but you said you you had success with the HR team. Was it the same sort of thing where it's about building trust and getting them doing the right yeah. things? Yeah, and making them feel like they had value and they could see the end. So quite often, and just about all the organisations, the team have been working really, really hard but not necessarily on the high impact things or, or the right things. Okay. So, you know, well intended, but not necessarily focused on what the organization needs. Once you get that focus clear and they understand the end game, then yeah, you know, it's a lot easier job for them. So it's clear leadership again, classic mm. leadership. It's about you seeing the wood for the trees, which possibly is easier as an interim because you come in with a fresh set of yeah. eyes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, this is where we should be going. And you're able to refocus people on what's important and then do some coaching to make sure that they're on track. Yeah and hope they will continue on that way uh, when you go. And, and you know, you might find three, five years later, actually, over time, because, you know, it is a tanker in mm. an NHS organisation. The culture does evolve. Yes. Uh, but you need that continuity. Yeah. to start with that stone, in, that stone in the ripple in the middle initially. So in terms of, you've been interiming five years? How long have you, have you no, been? No, uh, longer than that. 2000, yeah, so nine, 10 years. Gosh, okay. How, how did you, why did you decide to interim in the first place? Um, so I had a uh, substantive role, um, which was deleted as a, an organisation changed its style. Um, it was made redundant and I just drifted into interim um, and seemed to take to it. And for whatever reason, those assignments became longer so I think in the beginning there was a first, there was a couple that were like three months or six months but since then they've been nine twelve two years um and it just seems to be where I am so if there's someone listening to this now and they're thinking actually interim could be the way forward for me I imagine it might suit some people and not others would you have a sense of what makes a good interim or what would what in, who would suit interiming <sighs> yeah I, I, well I, <laughs> I suppose 12 years ago, 11 years ago, I wouldn't have thought I would have made a good interim. I wouldn't have thought I had the the natural outgoing, I, you know, I'd see I, interims as being naturally outgoing. Um, You're definitely a natural introvert, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, and recharging so, tightly. Yeah, and so that whole going into places and making an impact was alien to how I saw myself, but a skill I've had to learn and, and develop that first impact stuff. So don't be put off by that. If you if you don't think your personality style is what you assume yeah. an interim to be, um, but I think I, I mean I suppose now I look at it as probably two sorts of interims: there's those that just go in and do the three month short sharp holding or quick impact stuff, and then there's the longer term ones. And so I'm probably because I'm doing the longer term ones, I'm closer to where I thought I was going to be, which is in a you know a two year interim or a one year interim, as long as some people spend in a substantive role. So yeah. uh, that sits with me quite well. Um, there's a, there's a thing about security because you haven't got your next job always lined yeah. up. So you've got to be aware of that. Yeah. Um, the Put bit some that money really, aside then. Yeah. yeah <laughs> definitely do that. The bit I don't like about the networking and making sure that you've got a network to help you find the next job. Um, so, yeah. So, it's, it, yeah, I mean, it's been good to me. I yeah. can't complain about it. 
I've got a theory. You know, is it the power of I? Is that the intro thing? Yeah. That, is that what the term is? You know, that, uh, and I'm, as extroverts, that I would be the sort of person going bounding in and, yeah. and uh, exhausting. But the power of I, I wonder whether actually your introversion, by actually embracing that, has been part of your secret of credibility when you were talking earlier. Because the fact that you are more considered and less of the sort of, what is it, flash Harry type yeah. thing, you've gone in. Um, do you think that actually being more reflective has made you more, <clears throat> I, I guess, trustworthy almost, or have more gravitas? Well, maybe, maybe that's where the gravitas has come from, that I've learned how to, to Embrace your yeah. introversion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once I recognised what it was, and I wasn't just that I didn't have a personality. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. It could just be. well hidden. Yeah, well hidden, <laughs> and only revealed to certain people. Yeah. Okay, so I, well, I think that's quite a good theory, that actually it doesn't matter about your personality but no. make sure you're reasonably comfortable with risk or be at least very sensible with money because yes. you can therefore go for periods of time without yeah. appointments. So those are worth taking forwards. And it's not about necessarily going in and being, you know, really... You do want to go and make an impact, but it needs to be a considered impact. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the challenge, isn't it? If you've got a, a three-month assignment, unless it's a very clear what that assignment is, the... Ten, the, the the, the tendency would be to go in and try and make an impact as quickly as possible and that's not necessarily what they need and that actually also I think that resonates with what you were saying earlier about you go and build a relationship with the team so someone who goes in and is kind of bang is more likely to become appear to be a threat yeah. to those in place so therefore you might even in a good culture you might actually get people to resist you mm -hmm. whereas if you go in and you're sincere and it's and more considered then I think that's going to get more out of your team really yeah. Uh, even though you might be there to make a change, but it's doing that and taking people with you. So that considered approach. All right, so that's good food for thought. I think that seems like a reasonable theory. So in terms of my next question, uh, on this HR uprising theme, so where you've seen people come in and you've seen that people at all levels, but let's say someone entering in in a, in a more junior role, what do you think the skills are that they need to learn or display to be taken seriously in order to, to progress if that's their aspiration? Um, I suppose that the, the people that you see being successful and getting on and coming through are those that have got a sense outside of just their HR specialty. So they are an, they're an expert, they're a, they're a subject matter expert in whichever field, be it employee relations or OD or learning and development or whatever. But they also have a connectivity with the wider organisation and understand, certainly the NHS, understand the politics and the interdependencies. Um, so that's the thing that we're often um, accused of not being strategic enough. It's yeah. not so much about having a strategic plan. It's about seeing outside of your yes. silo or your yeah. specialism yeah. and the connections and the impact. Yes. And I think one of the things that, that I've probably learned more than anything is to become part of the glue that connects a finance team to a clinical team to an um, IT team and be the person that makes that all work and identify things that we can do from the HR and OD function, but also where they need to be working closer together and trying to bring those sort of teams together as well. Um, so in terms of people coming through, you know, um, getting really well grounded in whatever their specialism is, understanding the general nature of the HR and OD function, but certainly understanding the organisation, you know, that whole thing about a seat at the top table, where you only get that if, you, if you're a, a corporate director you are wider than just your HR director. Yeah. You are, and it was, you know, um, chief exec once described to me, corporate director needs three eyes and three heads because they just have to watch everything all the way and learn everything 
and be aware of everything, not just their speciality. So sort of 360, is that what the three is going on? Yeah. Eye in the back of your yeah, head as well? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just watching out for everything. And spotting signs. That's not waiting for someone to stab you in the well, back Well, it could be. <laughs> okay. It certainly could be. It's a cut-through business. Interesting thing. This is, can I just ask a controversial one that just popped into my brain? And we can always edit it out later if you want to. Uh, I was just interested, in the NHS, it's probably one of the few places that you see compared to other organisations that we work with, where there's actually more females, CEOs. Um, uh, I don't know, what's your thinking on that? Is it more supportive of women or is it just more women working in the NHS? Even It's probably a bit of both. I mean, when you look at most organisations in the NHS, they're 70% female. Whereas it's flip, probably. Yeah. And so that, by its very nature, I mean, you know, we used to have a glass ceiling, uh, gender-wise. It's breaking down. There's still more male CEOs uh, than there are female, but you know, certainly over the last five years, I think that's been a bit of a sea change. The issue now for the NHS is in terms of ethnicity. Okay. So we have. But actually, a... I see a lot of ethnicity in, in yeah, the NHS, but, but at not lower senior levels. levels, right? Not not at lower levels. There's very few directors. There's very very few CEOs. Uh, you know, it flips it sort of the mid mid banding levels, uh, whereas with gender it tends to go all the way through. And certainly where I am now, we have a seventy percent gender exec and uh, female exec, and probably similar non exec as well, which is the, the most representative. Propor- yeah, representative of the population. Yeah. So, um, and what are the, what's the thinking on on diversity and ethnic diversity in terms of oh, improving it's a, it? It's a big thing. I mean, you know, if you think about our workforces. Certainly, in, in service use in sort of patient-facing areas, could be 50-60% from a BME background, and then it just flips because they get um, they are less likely to be promoted. They are more likely to go into disciplinary action. And there's some cultural pieces there that that was we're getting to grips with. Uh, you know, we now have the workforce race equality standard, which shows us quite clearly that there's a long way still to go when it comes to ethnicity and you know fair treatment for all. Um, and we're about to start some sort of work on disability as well. So all organisations in the NHS are paying attention to this. There's a national sort of drive around it. Uh, and a lot of it appears to be around just having a just and inclusive culture and just ensuring that decisions are made purely on facts. And if, if you know, two people were to make a mistake and it was the same mistake, you don't penalise one because of their ethnicity. And that's kind of the way... It's so that is unconscious bias, I yeah. guess, basically. Yeah. Being that, being yeah. that awareness. Okay. So, so there is a real awareness of that, and, yeah. and actually to make sure that 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 is fair and just at all yeah. decision making. Are there particular areas where it, you mentioned a few? So, um, recruitment or, or sort of performance? But are there any particular areas where they see it's a problem? The two, the two, the two experiences that, that people tend to um, when you look at the data. So, you, if, if you look, if you look at a recruitment process, you get you know a certain number of people come into the organisation and then move through promotion. You don't get that when you can see it and you look at the numbers. You don't get that many um, BME staff being promoted through the higher bandings, even though they're going for the jobs. They're just not, and it could be that their culture doesn't allow them to um, engage and perform in our interview process yeah so they're modest or yes. they're more reserved so they don't come forward and and tell do the eye that we expect in our yeah. interview process i think that's really interesting actually the nhs is sort of really getting to grips with that and and actually probably ahead of some other um, industries if you like uh, especially because you've got the gender more of a gender equality and now looking at the the broader ethnic um equality and then 
one final question, Steve, I was thinking. So if you've got someone listening to this who's thinking, actually, I'd quite like to get into the NHS. If you remember many years ago, that was something that I was very interested in working with the NHS because I have family members that are in the NHS. Um, what do you think? Because I know you've had some people who you yourself have been in um, corporate to Glaxo. What do you think someone from non-HS can bring to the NHS or what do you think they need to adapt to to survive or to be effective in the NHS? Um, well, I think I think anyone can bring anything to any organisation. You know, bringing non-NHS people into the NHS brings a different set of lens, and that, that's got to be valuable. Uh, so I don't think there's any particular skill set or any particular experience, because to be honest, you know, in the NHS you get experience of just about everything. Um, the thing that I think people struggle with is some of the bureaucratic uh, bureaucratic madness that we have to go through, some of the reporting to the centre, some of the controls the centre put on us, some of the lack of autonomy that we have. So even in the really high-performing organisations, we are still reporting on a regular basis and, and that becomes an industry and, you know, things just get carried away with that. So that's the frustration, I think, for yeah. non-NHS people coming into. And I, say, I must admit, I remember you talking about like board report, in order to put things forward, you have to, a business case is, is quite a lengthy document, isn't yeah. it? And reading a lengthy... Yeah, yeah. but it's all public sector, it's all public money. Yeah. So it's not, it's, so we're not a private organisation with, you know, some sort of equity fund behind us. We are using taxpayers' money so and we have to, to hold... It. Yeah, justification Make for sure it. Make sure it's used sensibly. Yeah. Although I could be controversial and say that maybe that time spent writing that tome might be better doing stuff but that's just my yeah, <laughs> controversial yeah. opinion um that's why i'm not working in the nhs i guess <laughs> i hope you just with them uh so yeah that's that's a fair point uh, any other points you'd raise in terms of uh no. going from a commercial into it's basically it doesn't matter what your background it's more about how you adapt yeah, to it I think and, and there's a bit of snobbery isn't there about you know um both ways, I think, trying to get from the NHS into another organisation. Oh, you only in the public sector. Yeah. What do you know? Well, hang on. You know, we work to stricter guidance and governance than most private sector organisations. And coming the other way, oh, you're not going to understand the NHS. Well, anyone can understand it, but it's whether you've got the the uh, patience for it. Yeah, and tenacity. Yeah, I think to make make it happen. Yeah, great. So. Right, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it massively on a Friday afternoon. Um, I hope for the listeners that the sound effects haven't been too distracting. It's nice to hear some birds in the background and aeroplanes and cars going by. Uh, uh, so Steve Graham, uh, thank you very, very much for taking part in our HR Uprising podcast. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward to speaking to you again in future. Okay, thank Thanks you. Thanks a lot. Thank Bye. you. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.